Right. Hi, everyone. Um, it's four o'clock. Time for our first reboot, uh, reboot dialogue. Um, it's been a long time in the making, um, and it has changed a lot over the last 12 months. Initially, the idea was to have an immediate response to, to Corona and, and, and the lockdown. Uh, but then there were a lot of uh, podcasts, uh, video logs, uh, YouTube channels that responded to um, the, um, the lockdown. And, and it was very difficult to kind of to see how one could add anything to that. And then after a while, the, 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 the whole Corona issue became, became a side issue and it opened up to wider issues. The pandemic massively accelerated digitalization. It had a huge impact on the way society um, conducts public life and, and, and how we perceive and how we engage with democracy and with the political process. Governments have spent huge amounts of money on, on, on countering the, the negative impact uh, of the lockdowns and of the pandemic. And, and surely there is a sort of a strong sense that somehow they need to clamp back uh, on the spending and that what will follow will be a period of austerity. At the same time, there was in the beginning, there was some hope that at least uh, climate change would be a beneficiary um with the kind of the, the, the closing down of factories and, and 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 travel arrangements and so forth but but even here we have seen that in the last 12 months actually it has rebounded massively and, and if anything uh, we, we are we are polluting as much as we've ever done if if not more um so what started off as sort of a direct response to corona has grown into a really a reflection uh a dialogue on on what um, on what should come next, how we will manage the next ten years, uh, both at the nation state level, but also globally, because a lot of the challenges that we face are global, be it to do with climate change, be it to do with migration, be it to do with multilateral arrangements, how states and governments interact with each other, um, humanitarian issues, how we deal with the kind of a growing disparity between rich and poor. Um, so, um, Reboot uh, 2030 is trying to start a dialogue, what we sort of call sort of sort of initiates the narratives of struggle, where we invite people from you know across the political, well, not so much across the political spectrum, but across the spectrum of public life. Um, uh, activists, thinkers, innovators who are working as we speak on, on really rather innovative innovative ways forward ideas of how to how to make things how to make things better. Um, Reboot is not a platform to showcase or launch new initiatives. Um, there are incubator platforms, there's all kinds of, and of course, Facebook is full of this. What we do want to do is, is provide some continuity to follow um, activist leaders, people who take a longer term perspective on bringing about fundamental change, uh, following these people over a sustained period of time. Uh, so obviously we can't, you know, we can't force people to stay in the dialogue, so there will be churn, some people will come, some people will leave. But I believe that over the next, you know, six to 12 months, sort of a group of 10, 15, 20 uh, thought leaders, 
activists, thinkers, will crystallize, will come together uh, to share with us um, their journey towards a better world. Um, let me, um, uh, one last thing, just uh, for housekeeping, uh, Repu 2030 is a democracy school initiative, and if you want to find out more about the democracy school, go to www.democracyschool.com. Uh, my name is Nicole Heller. I'm uh, presenting, moderating Reboot 2030. There may well be guest moderators as we go along, um, but I'll be the anchor. I will be with the, uh, the program, with the, uh, uh, um, uh, the channel as it, as it progresses. Um, now, let me welcome our first, first ever guest uh, here um, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to this, uh, uh, to, to the channel. See how this works. Um, yeah. I think he is joining now. This is uh, Chris uh, Hammer. Chris is a, um, a theoretical physicist by training, and he has been he has a, had a, a very fulfilling and long academic uh, career. Um, he's also been uh, in the past. He's been the uh, uh, the national secretary of scientists against uh, nuclear arms. He has a long track record in campaigning. Uh, company. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Uh, I lost him again, so I hope he will come back uh, soon. Um, um, yes, so Chris has a long history of um, campaigning um, for um, peace and reconciliation. He's been uh, National Secretary of the Science, Scientists Against Nuclear Arms and more recently um, was involved in setting up the Coalition for a World Security Community. Um, Chris will tell us in a moment a little bit more about this. Um, I hope he will come back online anytime soon now. Um, okay, I don't know what happened. Chris, um, let me just see. I might be able to text him here. Um, I don't know why he's gone. I hope he's back in the, uh, in the waiting room. Okay, so... Um, we are waiting for Chris. He was briefly here, but he vanished. Um, okay, so not sure what to do. Let me see whether I can just invite him once more. Um, if I go here to participants um, and then um, I should be able to invite Chris uh, once more. One moment, let me see how I do this. Okay. Um, okay. So, now email. Ah, oh, there he is. Thank God he's back. Okay, that's, that's very lucky. I hope he's coming back now. I hope he's coming back. Chris, are you coming back? Um, Yes, there's something is building up here. I am glad. Let's just see whether it's Chris Hammer. Okay. Um, there he is. Chris, we lost you there. Um, and we can only see half your face. Could you turn your monitor just down a little bit? That's much better. Thank you very much. Welcome to Reboot 2030. How are you? Can you hear me? Fine. I'm just having a bit of trouble getting control of this thing. Um, you right 
Okay. I think Sorry. I think you I think you're all set now, Chris. I was just saying a few words about Reboot uh, and how how this came about, and um, I was just introducing you very briefly. I was saying that you are by trade a, a theoretical physicist, that you've had a long and fulfilling academic career. Um, that during that career, you also were the, uh, the National Secretary of Scientists Against Nuclear Arms, and that you have a long history uh, in campaigning against uh, weapons of mass destruction, really, and or more broadly speaking, for peace and democracy. Uh, and that in 2018, you set up, or have been involved in the setting up, I should say, um, a new, a very innovative project uh, that calls itself the Coalition for a World Security Community. Uh, and I should add a world security community for of democratic nations, and I think this kind of that this add-on is really quite important. Well, because we have a, a coalition of world security community, we call it NATO, but it kind of is a mixed bunch, isn't it? And so, so to set up something that really acts in defense of democracy and uh, our liberal values is some. I think is something you you care deeply about, uh, Chris. Let me hand over to you. Maybe you could just briefly introduce yourself a bit more thoroughly. Say a little bit about your background and how you got involved with the Coalition for a World Security Community. Okay, well, thank you very much, Nico. Um, I'm very glad to have this opportunity to um, present my views. Um, and I have to congratulate you on this is a new venture. This is a great idea and rather exciting. So it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Yes, as you say, I'm a theoretical physicist by trade, and I guess physicists feel a certain special sense of responsibility for the problem of nuclear weapons. And um, that got me first out on the streets carrying a placard in the mid-80s when uh, the fear of nuclear weapons was at its peak. And um, I've gone on from there to be involved with the World Federalist Movement and now this Coalition for World Security Community, which I'll talk about. Um, so let me just um, set up a bit. Um, yes, so um, let me summarize. I, I want to talk about this objective of our um, are you sorry? Are you seeing me? I'm not sure. Um, okay. There we are. Um, I'm just setting up my cheat sheet here. Um, I want to talk about this uh, objective of ours of a world security community of democratic nations. So I'll first give the um, immediate motivation, which is countering autocracy. And then I'll give the long-term motivation, which is um, better global governance, which in fact is just a, a mealy-mouthed way of saying world federation. Um, thirdly, I'd like to talk about the European example, which should be of interest to you guys in Europe. And, um, Fourthly, a brief outline of our scheme, and that'll be about all the time I've got. So let me first look at the um, immediate motivation, which is countering um, autocracy. So in 
China, in recent years, we've seen President Xi Jinping exhibit all the characteristics of a classic dictator. He's held military parades with missiles, flags, straight arm salutes. He's got a million Uyghurs in um, re-education slash concentration camps. He's um, undertaken stern repression of any sign of dissent, um, either by uh, putting people in prison or even executing them. He's just recently suppressed democracy in Hong Kong, uh, despite an agreement with the British. Um, he's fortified inlets in the South China Sea along his nine-dashed line in defiance of international law, the ruling of an international court. And he's currently engaged in making himself president for life, um, evading restriction of two terms as chairman. Well, that's not enough. Uh, just recently, um, the problem of Taiwan has come up. So he's explicitly promised to reunify Taiwan, the thriving democracy in Taiwan, with the mainland. And he's promised by force, if necessary, he's promised to do it by 2048, which is the um, 100th anniversary of the communist takeover. And analysts estimate that he's going to try and do it um, while he's in office, so by 2028. And I've seen some analyses that say he may even be ready to go within about three years. And the same analysts say it's going to be awfully difficult to stop him. So uh, the US and Japan have promised to defend Taiwan against any forceful attack. But um, analysts say they might well lose the battle. So this is um, a rather terrifying prospect. Um, it could mean basically the outbreak of World War III, if you like. So what do we do about that? Um, well, it's clear that if we're going to stop it or try to stop it even, the world's democracies have to work together. And if the major democracies all got together, they dispose of something around two thirds of the world's GDP, two thirds of the world's military expenditure. And that should be enough to deter Xi Jinping and dissuade him from any actual aggression against Taiwan. So we're proposing that they should form uh, a global alliance and world security community uh, for this purpose. So that's the first motivation. That's the immediate motivation. The second motivation is the um, long-term motivation, um, better global governance. So at this point, um, I tear off, tear off my whiskers. I'm a world federalist. So humanity in general faces some very serious problems. They seem to get more serious by the year. So number one these days is global warming. Number two is always the longstanding problem of nuclear weapons. And then 
the list goes on and on. There are sargasso seas of plastic in the oceans. Uh, we've seen species extinctions by the hundred. Um, we've got refugees. We've got about 80 million refugees and displaced persons, a number greater than the population of France, and so on. How do we solve those problems? Well, we obviously need all to work together to solve them. And basically, that's the function of government. The function of government is to meet the needs, the common needs of a society and solve the problems. And that's true whether it's the local level, the national level, the regional level, or now the global level. And therefore, to deal effectively with all these problems, we really need some form of world government, to put it plainly, which would naturally take the form of a democratic world federation. And the present UN is obviously not sufficient. They're doing the best they can, but it's not enough. Um, well, that's been crystal clear to me as long as I can remember. Uh, I don't think you can really argue with that um, logic. However, the World Federalist Movement has existed ever since World War II, campaigning for this objective um, without success. So we need to box clever. We need to find better ways of achieving that objective. What's the basic problem? Well, a fundamental principle of any World Federation has to be democracy. Um, we have to make sure there's no possibility of a world um, tyranny or a world autocracy. That would be catastrophic. So it has to be democratic. And that's a major problem because um, it also needs to be universality. I mean, universal, it has to embrace everybody, but of course, not all the world is democratic. So you could say that's the basic problem. So what do we do? Um, well, Europe, it seems to me, has shown the way. Um, at the end of World War II, that was something like the fifth major war between France and Germany in 200 years. And um, serious thinkers decided this nuisance had to stop. And they realized the way to do it was to integrate the nations of Europe. So Jean Monnet and his collaborators um, formed a scheme basically to form a European Federation from the start. Um, and it's, that's clearly announced in the Schumann Declaration, the basic um, document of um, the European Union. They were planning to build Europe, but they said Europe will not be built all at once or according to a single plan. So what they did, they started small with a, a small community, the European Coal and Steel Community of six members and um, aimed to build up from there step by step, treaty by treaty, institution by institution towards the eventual goal of a world federation, I'm sorry, a European federation. Well, they haven't quite got there yet, but, but they have um, got the European Union with a European Parliament and all that. So our idea is we should follow this strategy on the global scale. 
start small and aim at a limited objective. So who should be the initial members? Well, if democracy has got to be a fundamental principle, we should start with the democracies. And for the objective, well, we have this serious problem at the moment. We, we have the possibility of basically war with uh, Xi Jinping. So um, what we need is an alliance or a world security community of democratic nations. And, you know, if we can take this first step, um, hopefully the community would evolve over time, decades, um, treaty by treaty, like Europe, into our, our final objective of a world federation. Let me stop you here for a moment. Um, I mean, these are really big ideas. I mean, they're big in every sense of the word. They, they span the globe. They're kind of obviously multilingual because the world is multilingual. They're multicultural. Um, they're multi almost everything. Um, and uh, so it's, it is a huge, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, it's, it's galactic in, 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 in scale and scope. Um, and, um, and we, we see with the European Union uh, how difficult it is. I mean, you, you know, from, from a distance, um, uh, Chris, it, 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 it might look like a sort of a, a brilliant example for how, uh, you know, how states or governments could come together. Um, but we have later in the series, we have a, a federalist, uh, a, a, an Italian academic who will talk about the difficulties of European integration. Uh, and in fact, Europe is facing some fundamental, fundamental challenges. And if, if it can't overcome or solve those challenges, there is a fair possibility that the EU will break apart again. There's presidential elections in France next year and the, the far right uh, uh, nationalists uh, under Marie Le Pen uh, are doing extremely well and may well uh, win the presidency. If they would win the presidency, it is conceivable that there would be a Frexit. In other words, that they would take France out of the EU. Now, that would be the beginning of the end because it's hard to imagine Germany to stay in the EU with France gone. Uh, and there's other countries who would probably then also have second thoughts about this. So it's a, it's a shaky undertaking. It's very difficult. And yet Europe is quite culturally integrated already and has been for a long time through music, through art, through you know, literature and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's been a kind of homogenous kind of cultural zone. Um, and people refer to us in Europe as Europeans. Um, and we don't refer to the world population as earthlings or, 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 or whatever. So there's a huge step here in every sense of the word. Um, nonetheless, we need these big ideas. And what I would like to discuss with you is kind of explore is how we could, in very practical terms, move from a position of paralysis, where we are right now, where everybody who kind of tunes into Reboot now and listens to you must think, well, yeah, this, 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 this is a great idea, but surely what do we have in common with people in Africa, in Asia, in South and Latin America? How do we bring all of this? Underway? And then there's a distribution of wealth. 
Yeah, there's a distribution of wealth. There's real economic interest behind the structures that we have. And how do we break this open? How do we redistribute more fairly and so on and so forth? We don't manage to do this really very well within the EU, but imagine on a global scale how difficult that would be. So what I'd like to, what interests me is I, I don't, I'm, I'm not discarding the idea out of hand. I'm not saying, oh, well, this is just pure sheer idealism. Let's forget about this. Uh, what I'm saying is, is, is well, it is a worthwhile idea to kind of to hold on to because if we lose that idea we lose much of our humanity so the question is how can we build on this and what are concrete steps that we can take uh, to take us closer to a world community uh, world security community um uh, chris can you kind of give us like a sort of a kind of a if you like a, a roadmap over the next one two three years very tangible steps uh, that that your organization, your movement is pushing for that would bring us a step closer. Okay. Can I come back to that? I mean, you've broken the discussion already. I had a few more words to say, if you don't mind. So, um, I mean, first of all, I, I can say that I'm, obviously I'm fully in support of the European Union. I think Brexit is a bit of a tragedy and they'll come to regret it. Uh, but I'll come back to that shortly, if you like. So um, what I'm saying is that we're heading in the right direction. And um, if we can emulate that on the world scale, it would also be a, a, a huge and advantageous event. So I'd just like to quote H.C. Wells, who um, talked about all this many years ago in his outline of history. And he said, there can be little question that the attainment of a federation of all humanity together with a sufficient measure of social justice to ensure health, education, and a rough measure of, um, sorry, I thought of another point you made. Um, a rough me measure of the quality of the opportunity to most of the children born into the world would mean such a release and increase of human energy as to open a new phase in human history. So there are, <laughs> These are big ideas, sure, but um, maybe there's a small step we can take towards it. Okay. Um, our proposal, I just want to say a few words about what we'd like to see. Um, the bare bones, a community on the European model. So uh, as I say, Europe has given us the model. Um, I won't go into details, but they've I invented the idea of qualified majority voting, which means that you don't get tangled up with vetoes by individual nations who um, object to something. It should include a parliamentary assembly, which will be the prototype of an eventual world parliament. Uh, it should include a court, which will be the prototype of an eventual global legal system with binding laws. And just as Europe did way back with the ECSC. Um, the members should make binding commitments to defend each other against any eternal attack, external attacks. So it would at the basis be an alliance like NATO, if you like. And it, they should make binding commitments not to undertake military actions against non-member states unless authorized to do so by the Security Council which is international law at the present. Now, the advantages of that would be 
um, it's an iron, it would give an ironclad, or as ironclad as may be, guarantee of security for all its members. Uh, it would undertake, well, it would be a close partner with the UN in peacekeeping and peace building in the wider world. So it would give great new um, powers in that regard. It should allocate structural adjustment funds to bring less advanced members up to parity with the others. In other words, it should adopt the principle of solidarity like Europe has done. Um, the fact that it um, subjects itself to the Security Council in the wider world means that it should be possible to avoid any new Cold War with China or Russia. And as I've been arguing, it should be a big step forward governance in the future. And finally, um, the, uh, President Biden has proposed a summit for democracy coming up in a couple of months' time in November, uh, sorry, December, um, which may be a big opportunity for a step in this direction. So he's proposed a global summit for democracy to renew the spirit and shared purpose of the nations of the free world. It will bring together the world's democracies to strengthen our democratic institutions, honestly confront nations that are backsliding and form a common agenda. So, um, we are looking for some progress in that direction. Um, which I'm, we'll be watching with bated breath. Um, well, Nico, you've already raised um, some major questions. Do you want me to address those first? Or, or? I think two, 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 two questions are always sort of in the back of my mind when, when, when I hear great ideas like this. The first is, who is behind this? Are, are you alone or is there a network of institutions that are already sympathetic uh, uh, to that cause? Um, that, that's the first, and again, that obviously there's a lot wrapped up in this, so you can say quite a bit about this. Uh, and the, 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 the second sort of leading on from that, it is what is the, the roadmap that you kind of, where there's sort of a shared agreement with this kind of network, where you want to take this over the next, say, you know, two to three years. Okay, so our coalition is quite small. Uh, we've got about 40 members in our transnational working group. But um, ideas like this have been around almost as long as um, uh, world feminism. So they started with Clarence Streit in 1939. I don't know if you know about him. He wrote a book called Union Now, calling for union of the democracies to um, fight fascism at that time. And then after the war, he advocated the unit of democracies to fight communism. And in, his, in the last edition of his book, he went right along with us. He said it would um, advance freedom in the world and be a basis for a um, democratic world federation base. Um, and a whole Atlantic movement, so-called, has built up over the same time. Um, NATO, if you like, is an expression of that in 1949, was it? Um, there are institutions like the Atlantic Council in the US or the um, Alliance of Democracies Foundation in Europe, um, which are much stronger and more, with more resources than us. Um, so there's this whole movement, which in fact 
is much stronger and, and with much more resources than the world ferris wheel. Um, and they have various ideas that may lead in this direction. So um, the Alliance of Democracies Foundation, which is led by a former Secretary General of NATO, advocates, as we do, a global alliance of democracies, basically. Um, the Atlantic Council um, and other bodies advocate a D10, that is an extension of the G7 to include not only North American and European democracies, but... Um, uh, so just one, one kind of a question there. When you say D10, does the D stand for democracy? Or what does the yes. D... Yes, yeah? Yes. So it includes uh, the US, Canada, um, France, Germany, Britain, Italy, I guess. Um, well, they're proposing to add Japan, um, South Korea, Australia, and India, possibly, which make, I think, a D11, but anyway. Um, that's quite a strong push at the moment, and that could be a step in our direction. Um, to follow European example, we'd like to include all those prototype organs of democratic government, you know, a parliamentary assembly and a court. I mean, NATO already has a parliamentary assembly, so some of these things are already there. Um, you, you mentioned NATO. That's one possibly that just make NATO a global organization, and that's been discussed within NATO itself. Well, there's a broader uh, Chris. Let me just. Uh, there's a broader question, isn't it? And it's kind of been in the back of our mind. This is um, the, the way you see this. It, you, from the way you talk, it's not just about security. You see this as much more, as you said, leading towards a world government. Um, now, why not build on the UN? Uh, and which obviously at some point, I mean, there are people within the UN and around the UN who have very similar dreams and ambitions. Um, why, why build a parallel infrastructure uh, and not just reform the UN uh, to, to meet your objectives? Good question. Well, um, that's another option. So, I mean, the World Federalist Movement um, has various options. One is let's have a constitutional meeting next week and form a world government the week after. Those are the real enthusiasts. But but the main focus has always been, let's reform the UN. But that's so difficult because um, it meets this problem. The UN is a universal organization, but it's not fully democratic. And um, so a lot of the autocracies would just veto such ideas out of hand, probably. Furthermore, the, the charter of the UN is a very rigid document. It takes two thirds of the member states to agree on any um, change and no worthwhile change has ever been succeeded in, in being made. Um, so it's a very difficult path. Um, as I say, I'm, I'm a member of the movement and we support all these different ideas because nobody knows which one's going to succeed. But I believe ours is the most likely to succeed because it's easier. You start with the democracies who share the same ideas and the same ideas on human rights, for instance, um, much easier to unite those than, than the whole. There, there's a fundamental principle uh, behind the UN and you know, anybody who gets involved in human rights and the whole UN process kind of learns this in, in a painful way. And the, the, the idea here is and instead of old times, they tell you this, it's like, this isn't about all the good people of the world coming together. This is about getting the criminals 
on the table so that you don't exclude, you know, so, so, so the UN is a kind of, is a intentionally inclusive organization that says, well, we would be losing our purpose if we would exclude non-democracies, if we would exclude, you know, dictatorships and, and, and failed states and, and, and all the rest. So, um, so the idea is, is when we have them on the table, we may not get our way, but we might get some of the way. Um, and we might be able to somehow mitigate some of the really bad stuff. And we might be able to, you know, prepare and, and do things around it to, to mitigate. So, so the UN, UN, not as a kind of a perfect world, but as a kind of as a, a mediator between um, the democracies and, and, and other regimes. Um, um, would you agree with that? Or, or, and and how, how would you, when you have the... Uh, the D10, or if you broaden this and if it's gross into a, you know, would you foresee a world where we would have the democracies in one organization uh, surrounded by individual rules, states and failed states and dictatorships, or would the idea be to kind of increasingly kind of try to kind of co-opt them into the system? Right. No, I, I quite agree with you. I mean, we obviously need the UN. Uh, we have to work together on global problems. Um, and the idea is our organization would partner closely, as I say, with the UN, for instance, to, to work on climate change. So um, climate change is obviously a global problem. We all need to work together. Uh, we need um, everybody to sign up with COP26 as far as possible is it next week. Anyway, um, and Joe Biden has suggested that democracies should lead the way, I mean, because they're the most developed. Their emissions per head are the worst. Um, ours is the second largest in the world, I think, in Australia. Um, we're four times the emissions per head of China. So we can start lecturing China when we get down to something close to their, their level. Um, so the idea is, yes, both organizations would exist in parallel, if you like, for different purposes. They would eventually come together this, as I say, it will take decades when everybody becomes democratic. So the hope is that democracy will become a universal principle in time over, over probably many decades. Um, we'll probably have to see the last of the present dictators, you know, Vladimir um, <laughs> Putin, for instance, before we get there. But, um, you know, Arab Spring and so on, it's shown that it's an ambition for everybody around the world. And going back to one of the questions you asked, um, what do people around the globe, what do people in Africa and Asia share with Europe say? Well, we're all human beings. We all have common needs. We all want peace. We all want prosperity. We all, you know, we're all the same in many fundamental ways. And that's what government is for, to deal with the common needs of the society. Now, uh, another another problem that I see with big ideas is that we very often discuss them in the abstract, um, and and at best at the level of policy or uh, you know at a level of international law. Um, but um, this makes it very difficult for a lot of people. I'd, I'd probably say for the majority of people to get involved because they want something to hang their hat onto. They want something concrete. They want they want to do something. 
Um, and um, so my question is, is what can we do? I mean, how, how do you get involved, uh, you know, with the world security community? And what, 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 you know, what would an activist kind of day look like in that movement? What, what do you do kind of like to, and, and how do you kind of look back, you know, at a day's work and say, well, we have done well today. We've moved on a step. How do you, how do you kind of, uh, how, how do you deal with that? Okay. Well, I mean, what you do is go to our website and join up with our working group. But the idea is um, we want to link up, first of all, with other like-minded organizations. So I've mentioned the Atlantic Council and the Alliance of Democracies Foundation. Um, we'd like to get some sort of voice at the Summit for Democracy. And um, so the US State Department has invited various civil society actors to join in a, a working group under their sort of overall supervision and um, submit proposals to the summit. And um, we've just in the last few days managed to penetrate that maze and, and get signed up for a working group. Excellent. Um, and I mean, basically what I'd like to see is Again, follow the European example. So um, a group of the major democracies decide they want to unite or, or form this global alliance. Um, I, I should go back. Well, there's so many things. You mentioned NATO. Um, one easy way would be to make let NATO become a global alliance with members in the Indo-Pacific. But as far as I understand it, that has been ruled out already by France and Germany. They want them to, NATO to stick to its knitting, look after European security, guard against um, Putin's, you know, aggression against Ukraine and so on. So it looks like that's not gonna happen, at least in the near term. But the major democracies could decide to form a D10 we've mentioned. Um, they could decide to set up an institution such as we've, we're um, advocating. And they could, following the European example, set up a commission of some sort to draft a new treaty to set up this institution. Um, Jean Monnet and company worked for a year on the um, ECSC treaty. And I think he said one point, you know, Europe won't, be formed because we can't agree on bananas or something like that. Um, they dealt with a lot of difficulties at the time. Um, so we'd like to see a commission set up to work on a treaty. That would be the. So now, what's interesting is this: you call yourself a coalition for a world security community. Um, this kind of sounds like an institution in the making. But the, the reality to me seems to be that if this institution ever was to come into being, um, it would have to be initiated by those world leaders, the, the heads of state that would form, for example, the, the D10. Um, where would that leave you? I mean, you know, uh, would you um, become part, somehow part of the structure that they are setting up, or would you sort of stay outside of it as a, if you like, as a civil society watchdog um, to, to to kind of 
try to influence you know policy and try to make it as good as it can be from a civil society perspective where, where do you see how do you see these pieces fit together i mean of course one is campaigning uh you know lobbying these governments to for them to kind of take this idea serious and to move in that direction but if they ever were to do that and one hopes they will um, then obviously they aim they go for closure you know and, and you're kind of you're locked out because then it's it's big boys business and then then they have their own policy honks in their own ministries in their own departments in the foreign ministries and so forth uh, who, who will do that work uh, and where does it leave you i mean how, how do you fit into that into that structure well that's right so um basically the officials would would be in charge of it we would like to um have our input so as I say, President Biden has actually invited civil society input, which is uh, a great thing. Um, we would like to be involved as far as we can. So we'd like to um, draw up proposals, study ideas, you know, to make this concrete. Um, ideally, we'd like to be involved in this commission I've mentioned, but I hope that won't happen, of course. Um, they'll leave it to the pros. But we could at least... Uh, draw up papers or templates or um, study aspects. Um, it'd be great. So unfortunately, I mean, you're right, it's a top-down idea we're talking about. So we're talking about an institution uh, between heads of government, if you like, um, proposing things. Whereas we're a NGO, a bottom-up organization from society. So it's hard to see exactly how we could be concretely involved, but we could be study, you know, make studies. We could um, give them ideas and um, hopefully- As a campaigning organization, really, campaigning around these issues. Um, yes. And uh, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, like human rights organizations like Amnesty. I mean, they will campaign, they will, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's gonna be the, you know, that's called human rights who will, make decisions on, 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 on the status of particular crimes and all the rest um, yes. so, so, so so yeah that that that's that that's that, that that makes sense but um, uh, sort of a, a, a last uh, question um, I mean you, you're talking a very long time frame sort of glacial you know like um, um, and, and how do you how do you sustain because obviously the world, is short-lived and um i mean if you only look at the last six months what has happened in world politics uh, th there's so many events who have changed the kind of the choreography and and also the kind of you know uh, uh, uh the, the, the climate um uh, of international politics that it's it's hard to see how you can sustain a single idea over over the long long run. What is your strategy for sustaining it, and 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 what is your strategy for you know keeping it alive and 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 for you know uh, keeping it going? Well, again, I mean, I'm sort of fixated on the European example. So there are lots of, um, uh, if you like, civil society organisations pushing these ideas continuously. So Jean Monnet set up an action committee for a United States of Europe, right? which existed for 30 years or so. And, um, well, there are all these other actors, Antio, Antonio Spinelli, what have you, who um, pushed for the European idea. And um, they achieved, you know, first of all, the Treaty of Rome, Treaty of Maastricht, 
stage by stage. So it took decades, still take decades. Um, and our ideas would also take decades. So um, Freeman Dyson, another physicist, predicted it might take 50 to 400 years. So hopefully 400 years is a pessimistic estimate. 50 is maybe optimistic, who knows. Um, but we have to be prepared for a long view. And having an institution to work with, you know, a, a start with a community or something, um, that gives you something fixed to work with. And then you look to the next stage, the next treaty. And you add functions. So in Europe, you started with the coal and steel community. The idea being that these were the sinews of war, right? And if you could unite those industries, you could um, hopefully prevent any further wars. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's like in Europe, um, um, well, not just in Europe, but globally, but you had the Second World War uh, and the Second World War and you had the Holocaust and you had all the unbelievable you know, cruelty and, 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 and inhumanity that, that is associated with, with, with all of that. Uh, millions upon millions upon millions of deaths. Um, and, and, and yeah, in humanity. I mean, it, it had a deep impact uh, uh, on, on all spheres. I mean, there was movements in the arts uh, in the 1950s asking how can we make art after, you know, after what happened uh, in, in the Holocaust and, and, and in the Second World War. Um, there was, of course, the, the, the UN was sort of set up as a never again organization. Uh, and, and of course, a lot of institutions were set up in that way. From you know, the World Health Organization to the World Trade Organization, from the European Union, of course, um, uh, and, and many, many more. Uh, uh, I mean, to, to, to put it blandly, will it take another world to kind of move closer uh, to the kind of to, to a kind of a coming together that you have in mind? Is this possible during peacetime? Um, would, would the EU ever have happened if the Second World War hadn't happened? Um, would the UN ever have happened in that way if, if the Second World War hadn't happened? Uh, the same could be said for human rights in, in general and for international law. I mean, there was such a massive momentum generated by this, by this, by, by this terrible event, uh, or these events in, in the 20th century. Now, um, how do we, in this kind of world of sort of distributed conflict, uh, you know, uh, not a single major atomic bomb in Hiroshima or Nagasaki, but loads of chemical weapons here and there and this and that, and maybe a mini nuke somewhere as well, um, but not big enough to really kind of create a world conflict, but more than big enough, you know, uh, to, to, to to, to really disable uh, a sort of local local conflict. Um, how, how do you deal in this distributed, diffuse world? Um, how, how do you galvanize in the way we have been able to galvanize, you know, like after the Second World War? Right. Um, I, no, not really. Yes, well, that's the pessimists in the World Fellows Movement say that we'll need a World War Three before um, we'll get any World Federation. Well, I mean, I hope that we're a bit more sensible, that, that we can do better than that. And um, I said, why? Yes, of course. Three. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, and that's our idea. That, that's what we're aiming towards. Um, so, um, the threat, I mean, as I say, the Taiwan conflict could develop into World War III in, in the worst case scenario. And 
those of us left in the smoking wreckage might eventually see sense. I mean, but, um, yeah. the, the way you started off, and I, uh, Chris, the way you started off, and I found that very interesting, is that you focused very strongly in your kind of thread analysis uh, on, 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 on China and, and what's happening in the South China Sea and what's happening with Taiwan and with Hong Kong, what has happened there and, and, and that whole, and what happens within China, the, 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 the unfolding genocide and all the rest. Um, you, you, you were very explicit about that. So, um, you know, is this part of the strategy just to say we need to galvanize around specific geopolitical developments? Because if we don't, then it stays abstract. But if we are saying here is a kind of developing conflict that could spill into a kind of a, a world war in the extreme case, um, then obviously that generates momentum for a D10 that might generate a momentum for giving that D10 some kind of teeth, including military teeth, uh, that NATO globally does not want to take on, um, because as you said, Europeans want to focus on the, the kind of Europe and, uh, and, 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 and the whole the, the old Cold War kind of scenario. Um, and and is, is that part of the strategy? Is it to say, well, you know, we need an enemy, we need a threat, and we name that enemy as China, and we need that threat as a potential escalation of conflict, you know, around Taiwan. Is that is that part of the part of the strategy, part of the picture? Well, yes. I mean, this is not a good thing, but the threat, if you like, does give us an opportunity. So um, obviously, the democracies are scared, if you like. Um, they're worried about this problem, so that gives them a motivation um, to get together, which, um, I mean, we would advocate anyway, but this, this is um, maybe an opportunity, and the Summit for Democracy is, is the particular opportunity. So um, we're looking for consequences after that. So, you know, I have high hopes that this summit will lead to something concrete. Um, the, the, the D10 process you mentioned, um... Um, what, what is the, sort of the roadmap for D10 and how you're sort of engaging with that process? Um, I'm saying this with a sort of a, a thought in the back of my mind. It would be very interesting to invite you back to Reboot, you know, a bit further down the line um, and to sort of see how, 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 you, how you get on, whether you're making any headway, um, you know, what, how your relationship with D10 is developing, whether there's some kind of informal kind of alliance forming, because you could be very useful to a D10 as a civil society partner. It makes it look less like a top-down thing, doesn't it? It, it, it legitimizes, uh, it brings a democratic element um, to what potentially, as you said, is a top-down uh, uh, situation. Um, what is the roadmap there for D10? How are you hoping to engage with that roadmap? Um, and, and what would be a good time for us to get together once more and to see how that develops? Well, one of our members, um, as I mentioned, John Davenport, is um, a member, of, if you like, of the Atlantic Council, and he, um, he's been involved in discussions with them. Um, so it's just a live idea, if you like, among the um, more powerful organizations around. Uh, it would involve the major democracies in Europe and North America, plus Indo-Pacific, the Quad, like Japan and so on. So um, it's a certainly a step in our direction. Um, if you want more details, I think you should 
maybe have a session with John sometime in the future. Um, that'd be very interesting to set to set to set that up. Maybe we can we can we can facilitate. It would be great if you could facilitate that. Um, but so say if you you were mentioning earlier uh, that that there's a D10 summit. Uh, was it this 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 December November December? Yes, that's right. So Boris Johnson, right, um, convened a meeting of the G7, or actually, it was the D, D11. So um, Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister, was involved, and um, I presume, well, the, the Japanese, the Indian Prime Ministers were there. Um, so basically, they were all there. Um, so um, Britain seems to be quite involved with it. So they have a, an official, Lord Sedwell, who's the so-called Sherpa of the D10, um, pushing this idea and, and they've convened this meeting earlier in the year. Um, nothing concrete has emerged yet, but um, something concrete might emerge this summit for democracy later. So yes, there are movements at the top level in, in that regard. So maybe maybe if we had another chat, uh, or maybe is it John De De Devonport? Yeah, John knows more about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe if 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 I had a chat with John, like say in February next year, um, maybe maybe that would be a good time to sort of to to to, to develop that narrative and to see see where that is going. Great idea. Yes. Right. Excellent. Great. Well, listen. Um, Chris, you know, I should probably say to anybody who watches this now or later, um, it is it is now after one o'clock in Sydney, and you are very brave and very committed to be up at this time of night uh, to talk to me. Thank you ever so much. I mean, this is you know, it, it, it feels almost like sort of like colonialists. You know, it's like I'm sitting here in Europe and with my Europe sort of centric view and people have to stay up all night uh, to talk to me but it's not like that at all uh, as you know and i explained why why we do this but i'm still incredibly impressed about your stamina and your determination to do this and thank you ever ever so much it's brilliant and you know i think you you know we should also continue uh, this dialogue directly so maybe early in the new year we could also you and i could have another uh, uh, talk and sort of see how from your perspective um, the, uh, the the world security community develops, um, and 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 you know what kind of you know uh, next steps uh, uh, might might you know uh, might, might follow. Excellent. Well, thank you, Nico. I, I'd be very happy to do that, and um, congratulations on this idea. Um, just I didn't say about the EU. So you say it might fall apart. I would say um, you know it's got political ups and downs, but um, let's cross our fingers and hope it continues. It, it's made some mistakes, obviously, but the big objective, you know, we can hope there'll never again be a war between France and Germany. That's of course, that is the, 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 you know, the core uh, of the European Union and people forget that because it did start, as you said, it did start as a sort of a, a, sort of a coal alliance um energy alliance um, and of course the idea was to intermesh to kind of integrate kind of the economies of european nations so 
directly so closely that they could never fight each other because the economies were so interdependent. Uh, exactly. And this is, of course, led to a misunderstanding that people think, oh, it's just neo -capital uh, sorry, neoliberalism and it's just about you know, capitalism and, and all the rest. And of course, uh, the, the Brexit lot in, in the UK have you know, greatly exploited that. And of course, Marie Le Pen is going to try to do the same uh, in France. And it's very important that people like us kind of keep drawing the attention to what Europe really is about and also the role it can play globally. So I, I couldn't agree more. I'm a federalist myself, uh, I should say. Um, and so I'm, I'm totally with you on all of this. It's just sort of when you sort of sit in Europe and you see the squabbles and you see the way they are not able to deal with the refugee crisis, for example, the, the way they are not able to deal with um, kind of the sort of like um, socializing of uh, sovereign debt. Um, you know, the, the, the way, you know, Greece and the Mediterranean countries were subjected to German austerity in the you know, post like 2008 and that crippled these countries. Um, for, for no other reason other than kind of trying to make these countries more like Germany. Um, and you, you see this and you kind of you see all the difficulties and the problems that, uh, that, that, that the European Union has. And so uh, from a European perspective, it's not an easy sell to sort of say, let's build a Europe on a global scale at the moment. Because people say, oh God, we, you know, um, isn't it bad enough like in Europe that we didn't need to export that now to the rest of the world? But I totally see where you're coming from. Um, and yes, we do need a much stronger sort of multilateral culture uh, moving towards a, a federalist culture. There's no question about it. And I think the future of the planet really in the long term depends on that. There's no no question. We're so interdependent. Um, you know, pollution knows no national boundaries. And, 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 and in fact, economic crisis doesn't know any national boundaries either. It, it all, you know, and nor do viruses, as we now see with corona, uh, again, you know, there's a there's a lesson there that we need to democratize health. You know, you know, across the globe, and in fact, health security could, in my view, would be a really important aspect to kind of to integrate or to include uh, in your sort of uh, uh, world security community. Because I think health is one of the issues where we really begin to feel very insecure very quickly. Uh, and it's not just the chemical weapons and the biological weapons; it's also man-made viruses, and it's also, of course, natural viruses. Um, so I think you're doing a brilliant, a brilliant thing. It's a huge idea. It's very hard to get um, to, to, to get one's head around it. Um, there's a danger that we kind of think, "Oh God, I'm so glad Chris is doing it. I don't have to think about it then." But I, um, I, I do hope that um, you know that that. that that we can kind of get people um, to think about these issues, to allow themselves to think big, because I think that's where it starts. I mean, if we can't, if we don't allow ourselves to think big, we can't act on it, you know? So this is really the first level of censorship, the first level of oppression really starts with kind of us oppressing ourselves and saying, no, 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 this is too big for me. This is too big for us. We should stick to what we can control. Uh, and here's something that is truly big, um, and it 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 leaves it, it leaves it leaves one with a sort of sense of it's possibly too big for me, but I don't think it is, and I think we need to find ways of nibbling away on it. We need to find ways of breaking it down into small bits that we can quantify, and that we can say, well, we've done that step, and now let's do the next step. Um, and, and I hope that maybe when we uh, meet again in a few months' time, that we can begin to sort of think about about these steps in, in concrete ways. Because it'd be great to kind of develop this dialogue into a kind of a, 
a meeting place for people who want to be part of that journey. Excellent. And are you going to have a meeting on Europe? I mean, we've raised all sorts of questions there. We do have a meeting on Europe indeed, and it's coming up very shortly in two weeks' time, I believe. Um, okay. So um, you, you do tune in, um, and um, and it's very much about you know about about European integration. In fact, if you go to reboot. 2030.com forward slash contributors, and you you scroll down, uh, you see our sort of uh, uh, European uh, uh, program, and, and and there's a, a sort of a long also sort of positioning statement as well uh, of, of 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 how how we're going to sort of tackle that, how we're going to address that. Um, so um, yeah, please do tune in. And the other thing is, if you have a mailing list, um, you know through you know uh, your world security uh, community that you can utilize. Um, and let them know about this uh, about this uh, uh, program uh, and about upcoming programs. The more we spread the word, the more we can make this a sort of forum uh, for big thoughts, big innovations, and long-term thinking. Because I think you know this is very much part of what you know. We're not going to solve the climate crisis overnight either, and it will require truly big thinking uh, to to solve it. And it's this kind of petty little thinking that actually stops us from actually solving it. We need big major steps and we need them within the next 10 years. And I think when it comes to democracy, when it comes to world security, it's a very similar situation. So thank you very much, Chris, uh, for being at the, you know, at the forefront uh, of the thinking in this area. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nico. Very good. Talk to you, well, hopefully in the next few months. Right. Okay. Well, right. Have a good time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>